Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Football season is upon us, and no one covers football like Podcast One Sportsnet. We've got you covered on a daily basis with the Dan Patrick and Rich Eisen shows. Not to mention each week you can listen to RJ Bell's Dream Preview to get the best picks from Vegas, or Ross Tucker's Fantasy Feast podcast to stay on top in your fantasy league. We also have Revenge of the Jocks with ex-NFL player Martellus Bennett, and even Coach Jim Harbaugh is part of the Podcast One Sportsnet team with his show Attack Each Day, the Harbaugh's podcast. So download all of these shows and more each week on podcastonesports.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is a continuation of the Division Capsule series that I've been doing for Real GM Radio during the offseason. This one is on the Pacific Division with a wonderful pair of guests who used to do a podcast together, the D'Antonio Wingcast, years and years ago, and gone. both of them have gone on to wonderful things, two of my favorites, Kevin Pelton of ESPN and Ben Golliver of Sports Illustrated. We go really in-depth on a lot of the questions involving this division. I thought this was going to be pretty straightforward just because there aren't a ton of differences of opinion on like the rankings of teams in this division, but we still went for an hour and a half and I absolutely loved it. Ben was trying to break our brains with thought experiments and fake trades and all that kind of stuff. And then, But just because there was a lot of turnover in this division, a lot of interesting decisions, like DeMarcus Cousins is a good example, and of course, how the Lakers built up around LeBron and everything like that. So the format, it does have a lot of the questions of the other ones, but we end up talking about each team a little bit separately just because there's a lot to cover. And so we do that kind of in segments in the beginning, but there's a lot of good substance there. I recommend listening to the whole thing. And this episode is brought to you by BetOnline. Go to betonline.ag, use the promo code podcast one. That is the number one for a 50% sign up bonus, which is awesome. Pluto TV to download it on basically any device that you're looking at. And it's an amazing free TV service. You don't even need to sign up and check that out. And then our friends at TrueCar, great place to buy a new and used car. As I said, this episode runs about an hour and a half and a lot of different ground covered, not only what happened this offseason and what we expect to see this upcoming year, but also moving into the future with some of these teams. You're looking at 2019 right now just because of how they set up this offseason. So hope you really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks as always for having us. My pleasure, Danny. Can't wait to get into this. Yeah, I mean, we, we have some some interesting points of discussion. I'm not sure how much disagreement we'll have, but there are certainly things to discuss. So the first question is always a basic one in this, but it's what teams of the Pacific Division got better and what teams got worse? I'm going out on a big limb. I think the Lakers got better. Pretty confident with that prediction. Um, I also think the Suns, you know, for better or worse, you know, in the short term, they definitely improved their lot. I feel like uh, the Clippers... You know, it probably took a step back. I mean, I don't think the DeAndre Jordan departure is like a backbreaker, uh, but I would assume that they'll be, you know, slightly worse than last year. I feel like the Kings basically did nothing, so I would say that they kind of went sideways. Uh, but, Danny, I was actually interested in asking you on the Warriors. Are we totally sure the Warriors got better with Cousins, or was this just kind of a sideways summer? So I think in terms of talent, it's a, a, a slight upgrade. I mean, we also don't know in the regular season how much DeMarcus Cousins is going to play. I mean, the upside there is is significant. I mean, if Cousins can work offensively and then defensively, if he actually tries, he can be a big difference maker. But that is far from assured, and so then the other big question that you have with the Warriors, which I think is an absolutely fascinating one to deal with both in the in the regular season and in the playoffs, is age 
related questions. So certainly all of their, you know, the like the top six guys, the four all-stars, and then Livingston and Iguodala, all of them are prime or post-prime, meaning that it, from age-related circumstances, you'd expect them to be the same or worse. But then they have these young guys. I mean, Jordan Bell, Kevon Looney, maybe Patrick McCaw. We'll see. Like those guys, you would expect them to get better. And so maybe they can move into larger roles. So if you take all of that into, into account, I would say the Warriors will be maybe slightly worse on the age perspective, then slightly better from talent because Cousins, I mean, Cousins is a really good player. We don't know how much he'll play in the regular season. But then the reason why I think they're better, if we're if we're counting this, and I am in this circumstance, and I will for the Clippers too, is that I think they'll be healthier this year than they were last year. They might, you know, they might even have a lower effort threshold this year than last year. I was actually listening to Kerr when he was on with Lowe right after the season, and they were talking about kind of that idea and the challenge that was going to be the 2018-19 season after everything that happened. But I think they'll be healthier. So I think they're a little bit better, but it's very possible that their record is similar or maybe even worse. So I recall back a year ago when someone on this podcast uh, berated me over the fact that the uh, RPM projections had the Warriors at like 62 wins. And then lo and behold, they, they end up with 58 last year. I can't think of who that might have been, but somebody on this podcast uh, did that. I, I think they're substantially more talented with Cousins. I mean, part, part of that is probably there's yeah, a difference I sh- I Cousins' made that clear. talent. Apologies. And yeah, Cousins' talent and his actual like ability to help a team win have probably been two different things. Uh, but you might say that you know after Curry and and Durant, he's the the third most talented player on the Warriors. At least he was before the injury. And again, we'll see what he does. I thought you know you you mentioned Kerr's comments. Do, Simmons has sort of brought this up at times. Do we think that the fact that Kerr has like going back to even before he was a coach? talked so much about the difficulty of going back multiple seasons and how much more difficult each season gets. Do you think that almost worked against the Warriors in the regular season by giving them something of an out? Yeah, I think he he kind of walked his team down a path that they may or may not have gone down. I mean, certainly it kind of set their whole framework. And I, I think he was actually a little bit responsive probably to how they showed up. I mean, just kind of the mentality that they came into camp with probably, you know, fueled some of that last year. I mean, first of all, uh, yes, okay, I did come at you a little bit hard last year on the RPM projections. I didn't realize we were going to have the least motivated 58-win team in NBA history. And like Danny said, the injury factors really hit all four of the big guys for Golden State, right? Whether it was Steph, of course, Katie missed some time, Draymond missed some time, and then Clay actually missed time for basically the first time during his prime. So that was a rash of, of bad luck that I think will improve for them. One other red flag I've got in terms of just, you know, their age stuff that Danny was mentioning. I did an interview with Andre Iguodala like you know, maybe three or four weeks ago. And uh, the premise of the interview was sort of his obsession with golf, which was fine and dandy. But after about 20 minutes of listening to, uh, listening to him talk about golf, I realized he knew like way, way too much about golf to be a professional basketball player. Like, I think his mind is like in multiple different places at this point. And I, and I just got me a little bit nervous because when they needed him at times during the playoffs last year, you know, his body wasn't quite right. And I think he's kind of already easing into that, like, okay, you know, where's my career going to go after basketball mode. And at times during that rocket series, they really, really needed him. And then I thought also he played some important minutes in the finals for them as well. And we've seen what they look like when they don't have him. I mean, I think that's kind of when they reverted to some of their worst tendencies, uh, especially in the West finals. 
And in terms of the Cousins factor, I'm not ready to just drop him into like their best five lineup when, you know, you get to the playoffs and push comes to shove. I mean, to me, I would still have Draymond above him in terms of the most talented players list that you were, you were kind of running through KP, you know, maybe a different style of talent, but I just think Cousins takes so much away with his mistakes, turnovers, uh, you know, shot selection, like overconfidence at times, and then just kind of lackadaisical nature on defense that I would be nervous if I was Kerr to put him in that closing five group. I, I agree with that. I mean, I think it's more the difference between, again, talent and actualized ability to help a team win. And and Draymond's, you know, he's he's maxed out at least, you know, when he probably coasted a little bit during the regular season last year. But, you know, come playoff time, he is maxing out everything he can possibly do. And Cousins, I don't think, has ever come close to that point. As far as golf being a red flag for Iguodala, I think, though, that like St- Steph Curry probably knows even more than him about golf, right? Like Steph's his... his I don't uh, know, KP. He's going <laughs> deep because he's doing these professional... He's like doing this work with Turner as a golf commentator. So he's memorized these guys' bios. He knows all this different stuff about wedge angles and stuff. It was shocking how much information he has about golf that I'm not sure anyone besides a professional golfer should be able to know. That's all I'm saying. And look, it's okay to multitask. I mean, Dame Lillard has become the king of breaking news uh, news media changes. <laughs> That's right. You're going to wake up and be like, wait, I got hired by who? What? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think that with Cousins, that duality is important, and I think that is probably, depending on Cousins' mentality, that might be the biggest challenge for Kerr this year, is the idea that DeMarcus Cousins is probably on the short list of the best basketball players to ever not be in their team's best closing five. I mean, he's an incredibly talented guy, and that, that can work, or it cannot work, depending on how Cousins handles it, and, you know, DeMarcus is a different type of challenge than, let's say, somebody like Nick Young, and granted, Nick Young is, has his has his own things and everything like that because Cousins is so much better as a player that if he takes being marginalized not because he's a bad player but because there are superior options that if he takes that worse than some other guys then then that becomes a challenge and it sounds like from I haven't I haven't really done too much digging on this myself I think this will probably come once I start being around the team more in October but I'm guessing that some of what the the groundwork that was laid, even though it was done really quickly with Bob Myers and with Kerr and all that stuff was basically like, if this is going to happen, it kind of needs to be on our terms. Now, that can be lip servicey. You know, it kind of does depend when a guy's taking so much less than maybe he could have gotten, then that becomes, an, then maybe maybe he, he's saying the words, but the words don't necessarily mean what, what they could in other circumstances. But that could end up being a challenge. The interesting part of that, though, with Cousins is I don't think it really necessarily creates a rift in the locker room because I don't really know. Let's say he's not playing and he gripes about it. I don't know who takes Cousins' side there because these other players have been together longer. They have a deeper connection and they've actually won. Yeah, it's probably true. I think his personality actually is less of a concern than sort of the basketball fit. And then does his presence take away what Steph and KD want to do, right? Or is he able to sort of complement and bring the best out of them versus, you know, an option like an Iguodala or just playing another premier guy so that you've got, you know, kind of the cleaner understanding of space and maybe more versatility on defense. I mean, I think those are the the central issues. I mean, of course, he's going to have, you know, over under meltdowns, probably 3.5 to 4.5 next season. There's no doubt about it. But I don't think that's really going to determine his success factor. I mean, to me, it's really going to be about what happens on the basketball court. I think he can be super effective 
in certain ways, and they've talked about using him as that low post score. Uh, you know, he's actually kind of a stretch guy. I mean, you could throw him in the corner if you need to and, and keep your spacing. But I just think it's more like, does he acclimate to the smaller role to not being able to do whatever the heck he wants on the basketball court, which is what he's done for basically his entire pro career? And then how does he respond when Draymond's yelling at him to play better defense than he's ever played in his life? Those are the kinds of questions I've got with Cousins. Yeah, that one's tough to answer until it actually happens. From an X's and O's standpoint, I'm really curious to see him in the high post in the Warriors' split-cut actions because, you know, those have really kind of just depended on the players doing the cutting. You haven't needed to defend Zaza, Pachulia, or... You know, maybe Bogut a little bit more, but uh, or or you know uh, wh- whichever the Jordan Bell, Kavon Looney duo was in there last season. You haven't needed to defend those guys at the elbow because they're not really scoring threats. Now you're putting someone who is a big time scoring threat in that position. Do those sets now become even more dangerous with Cousins? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the- there's no doubt. I mean, I, yeah, they, they can use them a lot of different ways, and, and I think that how many minutes can he hold up? So I think that's another question that I should have said earlier. It's like, you know, if he's only you know a 20 minute per game guy because of his health, then maybe some of these questions just answer themselves, right? Like maybe right. he's not so upset because he realizes his own limitations. And also the ability to work him in after everybody else, I think, could end up being useful because then he, he's not a part of it in that early part of the season when the Warriors' defense is probably going to be awful again, just like it was last year. I mean, the first month of the season, I just thought they weren't... Then they, Their transition D was bad basically the entire regular season, but then they, they just weren't executing all the way. It took them a little while to get into it, but they were so good they won a bunch of games. I mean, they're incredibly talented, and especially offensively. But yeah, in terms of an X is an O standpoint, part of what makes me so intrigued by the Cousins edition is that the Warriors haven't had anybody, especially offensively, like him at all. And so it's just the question of how does this work? We saw this at various points in the in the regular season in the playoffs last year of the, the big man who can attack the switch right away. Nurkic did a beautiful job again on that against the Rockets in one regular season game. I think the Blazers still lost the game, KP, do you remember? But I just remember... Uh, well, they won both the games in Portland. Okay. And so I thought, yeah, it was it was a national TV game, I believe, in Portland, and Nurk was just doing a great job of, I think it was, oftentimes it was Harden, if memory serves, and he was just getting him in the post and beating him up, and so that, that whole idea, and the Warriors, I'm sure they'd be open to doing that, it's just that they haven't really had somebody with the capability. I mean, they've had capable offensive centers, Bogut being among them, but that wasn't really his game at the point in his career when he was a Warrior. David West did that a little bit, but second unit dynamics are completely different because Steph Curry is generally not out there. That's why it's the second unit. So yeah, I think I think Golden State will be better. How much better is an open question. And also, I mean, you think about the injuries and the apathy. Both of those things could be worse this year, but I wouldn't necessarily expect it. So if you have those and then the eventual Cousins edition and everything else, I think it'll work out well. And also, maybe they give more of a leash to Jordan Bell, who I think is a a legitimately good option for where they're going and maybe giving him an off season of knowing, okay, this is where I'm going to be in the system can allow him. I, I thought he did well when he was on the floor, but he just, maybe he'll get more of a chance. But by the way, I was confused there. I was thinking of, you were talking about Warriors Blazers. The the Rockets did win that nationally televised game in Portland. Okay. Uh, now that I realize what you're thinking. I mean, to me, the most interesting way to answer this question of are the Warriors better is to kind of split it out into with Steph and without Steph. So with Steph last year, they wanted a 66-win pace. Without him, they wanted a 45-win pace. And I think there's a decent case to be made that they're going to be better without him than they were last year and, and also probably have fewer of those games, but a little bit worse with him because of the fa- the aging factor that we talked about at the outset of this. 
So Steph Curry's over the hill, or, or you're saying his teammates when he's on the court are going to be worse? Not just, I mean, all of them maybe a little bit worse. He's not over the hill. But the other factor then is, you know, if they do get a healthy Cousins at some point during the regular season, he gives them another shot creator, and that did, did become a little bit of an issue for them when Curry was out last year. I mean, it became more than a little bit of an issue. I mean, during that some of that late run, they they had genuine trouble scoring. I mean, they were they were able to bring it together defensively. Like I remember that game. That was actually early in the season when they played Detroit, and they just couldn't score at all. But Draymond just shut everything down, and they had a couple of games like that. But you're right. They have another another big option there. And also having Cousins makes it easier to play kind of, you know, if they want to use Quinn Cook there, who's definitely not Stephen Curry, but he can, you know, sh- shoot it a little bit and let other guys handle the ball, then that could work well, too. Hey, last question on the Warriors, maybe before we uh, switch gears to somebody else. Do you guys think either Curry or KD will be a real player in the MVP race? Or do you think they're still kind of stuck with the whole splitting votes and, you know, there's other better stuff? stories, Warriors fatigue stuff, kind of haunting their uh, haunting their cases. Yeah, I think unless one of those two players misses an extended period of time and the other player really takes over during that stretch, thinking back to when Durant won it playing alongside Westbrook, but Westbrook missed a bunch of time that season due to injury, uh, that that to me is probably the scenario where it would, that it would require for them to seriously contend. Well, that gets into something that I'm very interested in and haven't really spent much time thinking about, which is what is the guess on how strong an MVP season this will be? I mean, Harden had a really good year last year, but it was, you know, more of a one-way year. I think he was better defensively, but it wasn't, you know, like Steph's unanimous year or anything like that. And I like, I so will the field kind of come to their level? But I've, I don't know. My instinct is that somebody's going to somebody's gonna do something big this year, whether it's Anthony Davis or Giannis or something. But one of the things that's really different this year is that the best teams don't really, unless like Kawhi goes off and becomes that guy in Toronto, the best teams in the league don't really have those clear-cut and ambiguous MVP guys because their ensembles are so good. I mean, Boston, sure, Kyrie can have a really good year, but if Boston is a, like, 65-1 team, I think it's going, the credit is going to be spread around more. So then that means either somebody from a lower, like, a, you know, like the 3-5 to five range comes in, or maybe we just have a different conversation. Yeah, the reason why I asked it was kind of a leading question. I think they actually might be able to, one or both of them could wind up getting into this category just because if Steph is healthy, I expect them to win at a much higher clip than they they did last season and you know kind of given the lay of the land if we expect a little bit of regression from Houston we're not totally sure who's going to be like a 60 plus win team in the Eastern Conference if it gets to a situation where you know Golden State again sort of has the best record maybe there's like fatigue to the fatigue where this whole counter argument comes through and says look we got to give it to one of the best players on the best team both these guys are MVP level players. Let's just kind of figure out who's more deserving and, and place those guys into the mix. I will say though, I'm kind of saying this because I'm hoping it happens because I'm worried we're going to have a lot of voters just kind of get starry eyed with LeBron and there's going to be sort of like this bar of like, okay, if he can get to 50 wins, it's like just automatically give him the MVP award. And sort of like the triple-double thing with, with Westbrook a couple of years ago, I'm just kind of dreading that mental shortcut. I'm hoping that we avoid that, whether it's through like some crazy Giannis breakout season or a totally unexpected Kawhi return to like, you know, 100% or, or Anthony Davis goes bonkers. I mean, I'm hoping we can have a, a more complicated field because I think it would be a, a little annoying and aggravating if it was just like, hey, crown LeBron because he looks good in yellow. 
I mean, I feel like that's the more likely fatigue to the fatigue scenario. I, I'm honestly a little sick of hearing about voter fatigue. I think most of the cases where people complain about voter fatigue, that the player that everyone thought should have won MVP actually just wasn't that good during the regular season because they probably didn't care as much about the regular season as has been true of Stephen KD, partially due to injuries the last couple of seasons. They haven't deserved MVP. Like It's not like they're not getting MVP unjustly. Other players have deserved it more, partially because of the fact that you can provide more value as a star player if you're the lone star player than you can if there's another star player alongside you because part of the whole value of being a star is that you pick up the slack for other players who don't create offense as well. Well, the other factor in everything is that we haven't really, it seemed like Russell Westbrook, I, I agree that it was an, probably an easier vote for some people than it probably should have been. Like, I mean, Nate and I did a full like hour and 20 minute podcast about that MVP race, but we each picked him. Like we ended up in that same place. And something that I factor in, in terms of the judges, the narrative argument, which might end up holding more water for LeBron is if Cleveland falls off. So not only do the Lakers win 48, 50, whatever, but the Cavs win, if, if let's say the, like the wheels fall off a little bit more than some of us are expecting, then it becomes, it, it's a weird MVP case, but I can absolutely see people making it like this. Look at how big LeBron is. Nobody else would do that where them leaving and the team, basically the Cavs didn't change much. Then they fall from being the Eastern Conference champions to whatever number of wins they get. And the Lakers go from X to Y. Like I could imagine that being a part of the case kind of for the more, the more casual among voters. I am not a voter, so I feel like I can still use that depiction. But I, I could see that factoring in as well. Awesome. Well, should we talk Lakers now, Danny? Or are we I actually wanted I actually wanted to talk Clippers. So for the Clippers, okay. I, I think that there's this weird thing with them because I could see them ending up at about the same place this year as they did last year, but for a different reason. Like I think their talent level is actually a, it's probably a little bit lower, but we never really got to see the Clippers at full strength last year because they were just so injured. So maybe they end up in about the same spot for a different reason. So I don't know if that makes them better or worse. It just makes them what they are. You know, it's interesting. I mean, that that makes sense logically. The statistical projections seem to have them is you know pretty comfortably below 500. I, I'm not quite sure how to reconcile that with the the subjective feeling that look at how much deeper this roster is than it was a year ago. Well, are you assuming that the roster is deeper because of players who were not healthy last year who may also not be able to stay healthy this year? I mean, you know to an I mean? extent. Like, how, yeah, no, no, no you're right. I mean, really. yeah, Patrick Beverly and, and Daniel Gallinari, you can't pencil those guys in for 82 games, but you can probably pencil in Beverly for more than, what, you know, like 10 games, whatever he played last year. But also going out and signing Bob Mute. I mean, obviously they dropped off at center. Mike Scott is, you know, a competent NBA player, a competent rotation player, so he should be an upgrade on who they were playing a backup for last year. I mean, it does feel like a better, deeper roster, even once you account for injuries. I, you know, going to their games, I'm actually kind of, I don't, I don't root for anyone to be injured, but I wouldn't mind if this team just randomly went belly up early in the season because, like, their backup guards, like Shea or even Tyrone Wallace, like, those guys are pretty fun to watch. And again, you know, I'm kind of biased because, like, you're sitting through the games, right? But, I wouldn't mind watching those guys play a little bit more and just see what they, they can do and where are they developing. 
than trying to talk myself into sort of like their vet heavy rotation where it's like, okay, where are you really going with Avery Bradley, Tobias Harris, Marcin Gortat, like these Eastern Conference cast off guys, you know, and, and Harris is a nice player, but where are you really going with that group? Kind of what's the point? And it does feel like they, they're kind of in face saving mode a little bit where they're trying to like retool rather than reload or I guess reload rather than rebuild however you want to phrase it. I'm just not sold that even if they had great health for all these guys, they would really be a factor in the playoff chase. No, I mean, in terms of like contending, certainly not. I mean, and for the long-term standpoint, it probably would be better for them to sell off a lot of these guys on one year or in Bradley's case, what's effectively a one-year deal at the deadline. I mean, I think the interesting question to pose at the Clippers is how much their strategy this offseason is motivated by their pursuit of a new arena and not wanting to do that well. You're losing 60 games. And pursuit of free agents. I mean, they, they kind of go part and parcel at this point. And it, KP, you brought up something that I was going to go after, which is that the Clippers are one of the most interesting potential sellers at the deadline buyout whenever that, what if that decision is made, whenever that decision is made, because not only do they have a lot of players on contracts that are totally reasonable, but I also don't know what the Clippers want, which would be fun. So it's like, they probably don't want to take on 2019, 20 salary, but draft picks, you know, kind of low low salary guys, but that are interesting. How much money do they really want to clear? Like all, all of these sort of things. And they have players that could really help teams. Like if they decide, you know, we're not going to make the playoffs. And if it takes 46, 48 wins to get in the West, they might know pretty early. I mean, they might know in January that, hey, we're probably not going to get there. So then you have these competing pressures of like, okay, we can, how basically can other teams offer them good enough assets that Balmer and and the front office will say that's worth being worse and, you know, ending up at 30 wins as opposed to 35. And their calculus is going to be so interesting to watch. And it's probably going to just be we'll have to figure it out by context unless we get really good reporting from whoever about what was on the table for them. It does feel like they could be a team that's set up for two seasons where they, they try all out before the deadline, sell off whoever they can sell off and then just shift to developmental mode down the stretch. I, you, you mentioned the arena thing, KP. Do you feel like maybe LeBron coming to the Lakers gives them cover to do like anything? Because I, <laughs> you know, locally, I mean, they're going to be so overshadowed. It's not even funny. You know, I think it's going to be like, you know, the Knicks versus the Nets. I mean, when the Nets have been just completely pointless for the last few years, but still by like a a factor of maybe 10 uh, in terms of, you know, like local interest, uh, you know, dominance, you know, one way versus the other. You know, I feel like they have every card in their deck they can play. You know what I mean? I mean, you're the one who's there, but by all accounts, they were completely overshadowed the last few years when they were a dramatically better team than the Lakers. So, yeah, I think it's going to be even more dramatically so next season. Uh, I guess my point was maybe they don't face real pressure one way or the other to be respectable. It's like, I I think Jerry West too, I think he's, shrewd enough where he'll know when to pull the plug uh, this season, especially if they get early injury issues like last year, or if, you know, this just kind of random grab bag of guys just doesn't really mesh up, uh, you know, right out of the gate. Yeah. Lots more to talk about with Kevin and Ben, but first a message from our friends at Bet Online. The NFL season just started. First game, Falcons at Eagles was on Thursday, and then the full slate is on Sunday. So this is a great time to check out Bet Online. And if you want to engage in the NFL in a different way, it's pretty cool. Bet Online is presenting a prediction challenge that a lot of us Podcast One Sportsnet hosts are doing. So you can go to Podcast One, 
dot com and go to the Sportsnet webpage and you can see the contest. So we're each picking five games a week and then our lock of the week and we'll see who does well. My lock was the Saints over the Buccaneers. Jameis Winston not playing due to a suspension was a big part of that. And you can see how I do. It's fun as a basketball guy. I mean, there are other basketball guys. Shaq is in it as well. Adam Carolla, lots of other great people. So you can check that out. But more importantly, you should check out betonline.ag. So much going on, football, baseball, and lots of opportunities if you want to try to make some money. And it's a great time to do it also because of our promo code. So if you use podcast one, that's the number one, you get a 50% sign up bonus. So go to betonline.ag and use that promo code and you can find different things you feel you know something better than other people. You can check it out. And I know for a lot of people, the NFL is a, a great focus, a, a good way to to channel your energy. I am actually not doing yearly fantasy at all this year. So more week to week stuff like Bet Online is is the way that I am engaging with the NFL this year. So you can check it out. You can check out my picks on Podcast One Sports and that's website as well. So again, one more time, betonline.ag and the Podcast One, that's the number one promo code for a 50% signup bonus. Also want to tell you about Pluto TV. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. Never ask for a credit card. You don't even have to sign up to watch for free. I checked out their interface. And I was really impressed just with how easy it is to get through it. I mean, a lot of times when you think of of free, especially with with content like this, you're thinking, oh, it's going to be clunky. It's going to be everything else. But I'm really, really impressed. And it's the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows, hit movies for free. You don't have to pay for TV again by downloading Pluto TV. You can do so for free on all of your favorite devices, including your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, anywhere else you stream. I was checking out their just computer interface. I thought that was really impressive, and you can check it out there as well. So again, download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today. Well, so instead of talking about the Lakers here, let's. I think we can just talk about them in the next question, which is a move or signing that stood out to you, and we can just talk about their offseason. And for the Lakers, you have this duality where, for, for my purposes, which is the brilliance of the steps that they took to clear the space and maintain the space to get LeBron. And, and I mean, you could even categorize the Luol Dang waiver and how they, it seems like they took a pretty firm line and got what they needed to make it worthwhile. And then you have the two days of insanity of, okay, we have LeBron James. Great. We're not going to get another star. So we're going to sign everybody on one of your contracts. Who makes sense around LeBron James? Oh, I don't know. Rajon Rondo, Michael Beasley, JaVale McGee, and Lance Stevenson. And how they reconcile this is maybe the most interesting question. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's going to define their season and and how we feel about this LeBron Lakers experiment after one year. I mean, you know, the, the good news is even if you're pessimistic about the players they added is I'm, I'm guessing all of us are. I don't know if anyone wants to take the, uh, the contrarian take that the Lakers know exactly what they're doing and are putting the right pieces around LeBron here. But uh, it, it's only a one year situation with all these guys. And then you've got a chance to go out and create max cap space next summer. So the 2019-20 Lakers may bear very little resemblance to the 2018-19 Lakers, despite the presence of the young guys in LeBron. 
But for this year only, it, it's really one of the league's most fascinating experiments. Yeah, I mean, I don't root for violence, but if there isn't a fist fight during training camp, uh, I, something's gone horribly wrong with these guys. I mean, it's like they set up the perfect foils for each one of their young guys, whether it's Lazo and, and Rondo or Ingram versus, you know, Beasley. I mean, Stevenson and Josh Hart. It's like, okay, we're going to basically, like, make you go through uh, a hazing ritual during training camp with uh, the ugly juniors and seniors uh, and see what you're really made out of. Um, I think ultimately the whole season comes down to Ingram, Hart, and Lonzo. You know, if they wind up taking meaningful step forward, those three guys, they wind up being guys you can keep on the court late in games with LeBron. He trusts them. Lonzo becomes a good enough of an offensive threat, whether it's as a catch and shoot guy or just someone who's just always active, cutting, you know, finding kind of, you know, cheap stuff around the basket. Then I think that they could actually be on to something if they have to play the vet in the most meaningful minutes of the season, if you know, we're in the first round of the playoffs or whatever. I don't see this team, you know, really doing, you know, much of, of anything. And one of my biggest concerns is this idea of LeBron's position in terms of how much is he going to play center. I'm pretty dubious that you can play LeBron at center for, you know, large amounts of minutes during the regular season and have that be a winning proposition. Uh, I mean, I understand they don't really have a lot of good other options, but I feel like it's almost kind of a crisis situation if you get him there because he's not that interior defensive, like, you know, big time defensive rebounder. He's not that like above the rim, you know, shot blocking, rim protecting type presence. You don't want him exerting that much energy on defense anyway. And frankly, he doesn't, you know, the last couple of years have, have taught us that. So that early buzz about, oh, LeBron at the five with, you know, four shooters, that's got me a little nervous and a little skeptical for sure. I mean, you know, I think it had to be a strategy because obviously they had all the money, and not all the money in the world, but more than enough money given the weak center market to go out there and, you know, get pretty much anyone not named Clint Capella Maybe DeAndre Jordan was was off the table as well. But, uh, you know, other than those two guys, they could have gone out and gotten anyone they wanted, and they just got JaVale, basically, to, to go along with the guys that they already had, Zubac and, and Mo Wagner, this year's first-round pick. So you're not going to get 48 minutes a game out of those three guys unless Wagner is way more ready to contribute than we anticipate or Zubac has improved dramatically. So I think they have to be planning for that. And I, I think if you're going to do that, you have to think about it differently in terms of if you're going to play LeBron at center – and then the size they have on the perimeter, you're going to switch everything defensively. Well, they definitely want to do that, but uh, you know, that doesn't mean it's going to work. You, know, it's like you still have to have somebody around the well, basket. Otherwise, well, you just give it away up still, right? Well, I mean, what, what, what is going to work with this team? That's exactly my concern. That, that's sort of my point. <laughs> I think that they have a chance to be really good offensively, but you know, last year they were okay defensively. They they got by. You know, they played a, a super fast-paced style. They they came out okay in the defensive uh, efficiency rankings when it was all said and done. But just this blueprint idea of like, hey, we're going to play super small ball. It's going to be entertaining. I I think it's going to be more fun than it is substantive. I guess that's my point. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I wonder just about LeBron's willingness, even if it's just to be categorized as a center, because, I mean, we've seen a lot of guys who are much bigger than LeBron be reluctant to do that. I mean, the Warriors are basically treating Draymond at center as a break glass in case of emergency throughout the entire regular season. And 
sometimes maybe even into the first round of the playoffs. And it would be striking to see the Lakers go the opposite direction with a more important player, just because LeBron is LeBron, and an older player. But, you know, maybe maybe they're going to go to a defensive system where that works. We'll see. Who do you see as their five? Let's say they make the first round of the playoffs and they're, they're playing, I don't know, you know, Portland or New Orleans or whoever uh, in that first round matchup. Like, best case scenario, who's their closing five? Well, I mean, I think Lonzo, KCP, Ingram, Kuzma, LeBron. Was that five or six? That's five. So that was that's five. So you don't think Hart's going right. to sneak in there? For some reason, I've got this. Maybe yeah. I'm just like blinded by summer league uh, success. I just feel like Hart's a really good fit with LeBron. I I think so too. I mean, I I've written as much. I I just think Kuzma's more likely. I, I think it'd probably between be between those two guys, and Kuzma does does give you a little more size. I mean, maybe it's hard over KCP though. Well, and remember yeah. that unless okay, well, unless the Lakers have a really really good season, like even better than I anticipated, it's it might be hard to get into the the top couple of seeds. So they're probably going to be playing a good team in the first round. This isn't going to be playing. I mean, playing Portland probably like you know New Orleans was able to get away with not really playing a traditional three. So. Yeah. How dare you talk about the reigning number three seed that way? (laughs) (laughs) But I'm not sure if they'll be able to pull off lineups that small. It would be fun to see. I I would be very interested in it. The other big possibility with the Lakers, which I think we shouldn't discount, is that they have to be a a high-profile buyout destination. I mean, just because they have plenty of depth. I mean, they have a lot of players that I like, but especially at the five. I mean, if, if you're any number of players on an expiring contract and the possibility of the Lakers, you know, going there, only having to play hard for like two months. I mean, I would, I I can imagine guys leaving significant money on the table, especially because unless the RPM projections come to form, you'll be getting minutes on a playoff team. And so there, I am potentially as the starter on a playoff team, maybe even as a closing five guy. And that there's some serious value in that. Well, I mean, perhaps we should ponder this question then more generally is what do, what do we think we're, they're going to do with that 15th roster spot that they've cleared uh, when they officially buy out Luol Deng? Well, they're not allowed to sign Magic, so that makes it a little <laughs> bit harder. I could imagine them, so if it were me, and I could see them doing parts of this, bringing in somebody with the idea of them being a stopgap, maybe even not even fully guaranteeing their contract, but somebody who's more of an innings eater, can can fill in gaps, or even, even using their two-way guys a little bit more, and then once the buyout stuff really starts kicking in, or just have somebody with the understanding, because for them, it's kind of monopoly money in the sense that they're not paying luxury tax on it or anything like that. So they could sign somebody with the understanding that, hey, if good players come out on the buyout market, we just cut this person. Right. So let's go to Phoenix. I think, so I mean, you could make an argument that other than LeBron James and Boogie is his own thing, that Trevor Rees is the most intellectually interesting signing in the Pacific Division this year, just because of the combination of him making the decision to go on a one-year deal to Phoenix but also Phoenix offering it and just what he does to this team. Because I think I think KP brought this up. I think the Suns are better, but I'm not sure they're better in a way that is necessarily positive for where they are in the long term. It will be better to evaluate some of their talent other than the whole not really having a point guard issue for right now. So 
I'm fascinated by the decisions on all on all factors. I assume Ariza made a largely financial decision, which is fine. Players can do whatever the hell they want when they're a restricted free agent. But that whole process is just is interesting. And then I've thought about the idea of like, you know, we talked about this with the Clippers a little bit. Are if the Suns are far enough out in February or March, are they willing to just let him go where he wants? Will Trevor Ariza become one of the best buyout guys in modern NBA history? I think there's an outside shot of that. I mean, maybe. I, I think that's pretty unlikely. I mean, first off, you're going to look to recoup some value from that in terms of trading him. And now the difficulty is going to be whether you can find someone on an expiring contract of similar size. But I, I think buying him out is going to be kind of a last resort for Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, I think that if they're going to try to pitch this narrative of like, hey, we're trying to build something around Devin Booker, we're ready to start trying to win, they would have an awful lot of egg on their face if we come to like, you know, February or March and he's just not even on the roster one way or the other. I almost feel like they would try to like sprint through the tape of next season and just, you know, grind out whatever win they could possibly get down the stretch just so they can sort of like pitch the idea that they had made progress after so many rough seasons there in Phoenix. I mean, they've got to be getting tired of of having all these pointless, you know, end end of season campaigns. I feel like this year the shameless tanking will probably, you know, not come to fruition and, you know, he may wind up being stuck. I kind of look at uh, Reza and Ryan Anderson like they're uh, on a study abroad year to Phoenix where they're just, you know, kind of cashing their checks and uh, they can do whatever they want and it's fine. And then they'll just kind of come back to reality next season. I don't love those moves uh, for the Suns. I mean, I think, uh, you know, long term, is either one of these guys going to be that meaningful to what they're trying to build? Probably not. I'm sure they're thinking, hey, let's try to walk before we run. And you know, that may work because they've been, you know, crawling and stumbling and, and falling off a cliff here for the last four or five years. But it, it'll be interesting to see how it works this year, because I think it needs to work really well for them to want to try to keep going with this. And I'm not sure it's going to work that well. The juxtaposition of two teams in this division, which is Phoenix did this kind of moving in to try to try to compete a little bit more than we expected this year. Sacramento did not. Phoenix has their own draft pick this year and Sacramento does not. A lot of times you would see the incentives in the other direction. I mean, especially signing a guy to a big money one year contract. Like that would be a a logical thing in certain circumstances. Like to me, a team that has traded away their first round pick should be indifferent to to their record rather than just trying to win as many games as possible because you can have all sorts of other motivations. But Phoenix, of course, has different pressures. Those can come from ownership. They can come from the fan base. They can come from a GM who feels uncertain about the job. Any number of different things. Maximizing a guy's prime, like Dallas did with Dirk, like that was really kind of its, or maximizing a guy's career, whatever you want to call it. So it could be a lot of different things. And I think it was a couple of those things for the Suns. Okay, I remembered what I was going to say, which is that, you know, they they spent all this money, but they didn't actually address their biggest need. They still have nothing experienced on the the Jeff chart at point guard where, you know, right now it's Elio Kobo, D'Anthony Melton, Shaquille Harrison with the Brandon Knight trade. And and I, I, I hesitate to even say with the Brandon Knight trade because it's not like they had a solution at point guard before the Brandon Knight trade. He He's unplayable <laughs> probably. So they spent all this money and didn't fix their biggest problem and then strengthened the position where now all of a sudden you've got – if Ryan Anderson's going to start for you at power forward, which the, uh, the reporting from Woj was that's going to happen, you're trying to shoehorn Trevor Ariza, Mikhail Bridges you just traded 
traded up for. Josh Jackson, who was the number four pick last year, and TJ Warren, who is just now starting an extension at the small forward position. Now, Warren's probably going to, they're probably going to try and trade him, but they're maybe in for a rude awakening when they find out what TJ Warren's trade value is. No, I mean, even Denver's power forward logjam from years past is getting jealous of all those names that you just listed off. I mean, what an absolute. <laughs> Uh, mismatch, unbalanced roster. Well, and, and also, w- wait, one quick thing on that. Also think about how all those guys, there's pressure to play them. This isn't just a lot of dudes. Like you thought you brought up the Denver power forward situation. Josh Jackson, Mikhail Bridges, like these are players that they not only need to evaluate, but that are very important to their future. They just committed massive resources to. This is a, it's a, a, a challenging thing. And it looks like if, if, if Ryan Anderson's going to start, at least one of those guys of, of Bridges and Anderson, or Bridges and Jackson, is going to come off the bench, quite possibly both, depending on how they handle the guard spots. Would you trade one of those wings for Terry Rozier so you actually had a point guard who's about ready to get kind of settled and you could have a, a dual playmaker type backcourt with him and Devin Booker and try to run some pick and roll with Aiden and maybe ease some of your uh, your log jam? Would you consider doing that if you were Phoenix? I mean, would that have to be Jackson or Bridges? Because uh, I don't know. I mean, the Celtics might have – Ariza doesn't work financially at all. And, and TJ Warren, they're not going to take on that kind of long-term salary. So Josh Jackson for... That's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm proposing, either Josh Jackson or Bridges for Terry Rozier. I mean, I would consider it, but boy, you've invested an awful lot of resources in both of those guys. Well, yeah, and not, and look, not I mean, only that, like, but... doesn't blow draft picks. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and the other challenge <laughs> of, new, you know? of it is that you're committing so much to Terry Rozier in that circumstance. I mean, they because remember through all of this stuff, not not necessarily actually either the Ariza signing or the Anderson Knight trade. They don't have a ton of cap space next year. It's actually more the Devin Booker extension than anything else that took away their cap space. So if they go through this season and Terry Rozier is not the answer, they don't really have much wiggle room to pivot unless the point guard market is just so bad that they can get somebody good for it, or maybe they can clear additional space and sign somebody. But it's it's going to be tough. Maybe maybe they could get Isaiah Thomas to come back. Uh, if only they'd made a run at someone like Fred Van Vliet, who would have made a lot of sense there with the timeline of their young players. That feels like that would have been a good offseason strategy, like a, a mock offseason strategy. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't have mocked that. Look, it would have been good. Look, let me just say that I'm floating these trade proposals not because I think they're the best idea for this team, but because I just want to underscore what a crisis this point guard position is. <laughs> I mean, the names that you were listing, KP, they sounded like 2K player names. I thought you were going to say Danny as their third string point guard for a second there. They need to do something. Like, I think they have to do something before the season starts. Otherwise, why do you spend all this money and start the vet? If you don't have a point guard, where are you going? You know, I, I think... The other shoe's got to drop here, I guess is my point. I mean, they may think it's going to drop, and it may just not drop. I will say this publicly, oh, Ryan, Ryan McDonough, if you want to sign me as your third point guard for the minimum, I am completely fine. You can make it hinky special, put all the other years be non-guaranteed, whatever, with the latest guarantee <laughs> that you want. If you want to sign that contract, I will leave my podcasting responsibilities. And maybe and, and then, since I'll be an NBA point guard, I can start breaking media signings as well. <laughs> I can't wait for Kevin to have to recuse himself from the from the signing grade on that one because he personally knows you. It'll be the first time in ESPN history he hasn't created a trade. Oh, no, he'll give it an F. <laughs> 
I'll go, I'll ghostwrite part of it and, and make even meaner jokes than he would. But okay, so we, we've gone through we've gone through all the teams. Are there any other signings, draft picks that you feel are important enough that we should discuss it? I mean, I maybe we'll get to it. But should we talk about taking Marvin Bagley number two overall? Thank you. Yes. Kevin, up to the stage he goes, ready to just slam Bagley for the next 30 minutes. Everybody settle in. This will be great. <laughs> so this gets into a question that I wanted to ask, because we didn't really talk about Sacramento much in the who got better, who got worse. And I mean, they have a lot of guys, depending on who they actually play, that are on the positive side of the age curve, especially just because of the jump that you make being like a first-year guy to a second-year guy, thinking about the Aaron Fox here. But if they're committed to giving Marvin Bagley extended minutes, not only because most rookies are bad, but because Marvin and Bagley in particular could take some real time here. I could imagine them being worse than they were last year, especially when you account for the fact that they exceeded their point differential by so much last season. Like I could definitely see them having a worse record. Yeah, you got to what I was going to say is that I think they'll actually be a better team, but probably win fewer games because of that point differential disconnect last year. I mean, to me, a lot of it comes down to, look, obviously he played a ton of minutes, but you had George Hill for half the season as a caddy to De'Aaron Fox. And one thing that last season reinforced is unless the, this player happens to be a six foot ten nightly triple double threat, if you have a young point guard, it is very difficult to win in the league. We saw that with Dennis Smith in Dallas. We saw that with Fox in, in Sacramento. And I don't think it's going to change dramatically for the Kings this season. Yeah, me neither. I mean, you want us to, to go back 12 months to talk about uh, my Warriors skip or my Warriors optimism, but you guys were very optimistic, I remember, about a lot of Sacramento's young prospects last year, and I was more wait, skeptical. Wait. Did any of them really show you what you had expected to see from these, these young guys last year, or how many of these guys are on the train towards sort of, you know, bus town? I want to check the tape here. I don't feel like I was that optimistic about Sacramento's young players last year. I'm a... I've been pretty skeptical of Deer and Fox, all things considered. And I'm not exactly a Willie Cauley Stein guy. No, I remember some Scalab. That's true. Uh, That was probably accurate. Well, and and the Scalab probably came from me, too. Okay, well, I'm accusing everyone right now. I mean, I I guess (laughs) to reframe this uh, more effectively, do we have any hope for any of their young guys? Yeah, you mentioned the age curve stuff. I mean, they're young, but are they young and good, or are they just young? (laughs) They're mostly young. Uh, I mean, are we, are we counting Bogdanovich as a young player? I don't know if he really counts as a quote-unquote young player for these purposes. I mean, Buddy Heald was fine last year. You know, he looks like he can definitely be a rotation player. Uh, and that's, you know, probably better than you might have thought based on that, that first half season in New Orleans. And obviously it's much too early to say about guys like Fox and Giles and Bagley, but... Uh, the, the Kings' tradition of not turning their draft picks into much production seems to be continuing unabated. Let's put it that way. And I enjoy that that tradition is continuing with bringing back, granted it was for other purposes, Ben McElmore, just as a reminder of, hey, this is how it can go if, if, if things don't work out. And I mean, granted, McElmore got paid with the Grizzlies, so good for him on that. But So you're saying that McElmore is basically the Kings' prison mic? He's a perfect veteran mentor for all the younger busts coming up the pipeline. Yeah, fantastic. He can show them exactly what to do and what not to do. Hey, but for real, Kevin, on Bagley, what are the odds that we get to, like, Thanksgiving and the leading storyline is Divac made the worst draft choice given how well Doncic has played uh, in, like, the, you know, basically since, like, Odin versus Durant? I mean, what are, how likely is that? 
Uh, I mean, I don't know if it would happen by November. And and I mean, the one interesting thing to to see will be, you know, my assumption coming in, and and Danny probably agrees with this too, is like Bagley would put up numbers, but that they wouldn't translate to winning. And what was kind of disconcerting about the summer league for Bagley is after the first game where he played pretty well, he didn't even really put up numbers. He was just kind of there. Yeah, that was a concern, and I I was there in person for his second game, which was when Jordan Bell basically realized that Bagley does everything one-handed and just took away that one hand, and Bagley just became just like a flailing mess, and that is concerning. He does play with energy, and so I think that leads to the the numbers, and there are going to be challenges in terms of translating that into winning basketball, especially considering the surrounding talent, but I do think, you know, that, that he will put up some numbers, and there will be people who go there. One of the things that I found most interesting about Bagley's best defensive summer league moments is that they were almost all with him standing underneath the basket. Like, you know, if he was standing there and a guy came right at him, he had a couple of nice blocks that way. You know, he can react if it the plays in front of him. And so I'm sitting there going, okay, that's fine. That's good. You know, it's, it's always positives defensively are always substantially better than non-positives, especially negatives. But the vision for him is to be a power forward or maybe even a small forward. And if that's the case, he doesn't get don't, to spend, Don't indulge that, Danny. He doesn't get to spend much time there's, standing there's under the basket. Way. Oh, I'll indulge what yeah. I want to indulge. It's my show. <laughs> <laughs> there's no way. I, I can't see it. Um, oh, boy. Uh, can we pencil them in for the worst team offense uh, of anybody next season? I mean, that seems fair. Believe it or not, they're 29th in the RPM projections offensively. There, there is There is one team who could be worse offensively than them. Do you know who it is? Uh, the, the Atlanta Hawks. Oh, yeah. That's tricky. Well, okay. 29th or 30th. Boy, that's, get excited, Sacramento. Renew your season tickets now. I mean, you know, to your point about the, the storyline with Divots, if they have another year where they and, – and if they hand a top five pick to either Philadelphia, it's number one overall, or to Boston – do we see another shakeup in the Sacramento front office this summer? I mean, I would hope so. Although if I was Divac, I would just go around bragging about how I won the Marquise Chris trade during every interview. <laughs> I would call a press conference just to gloat about that trade if I was Divac. It's like, you're not going to get very many wins because you're Vlade, so you really have to celebrate the ones you do get. I'm actually a little bit worried about uh, their coach, uh, Jaeger, too, for the exact same reason that you're mentioning. Like, there is just this sporadic, like, bout of, like, intense impatience from Vivek when his vision of, like, a young super team that the Vlade's been selling him on just doesn't come to fruition. And, you know, I-, I wonder if someone's head will have to roll here over the next 12 months just because he's just frustrated with the the lack of accumulated talent, the limited progress and development uh, among some of their you know former high level picks, and then you know again if Doncic becomes who we think he is, or you know some of their guys who were drafted uh, you know behind uh, the number two pick wind up blowing up, that is going to be a really tough spot, a hot seat for any GM to be in. I mean, the other aspect of this from the Jaeger standpoint is, you know, you, you talk to grizzled veteran coaches and they'll tell you, like, Brett Brown maybe being the exception, at some point, if you lose enough games, that's they're just going to blame it on you, whether it's actually your fault or not. Yep. We can jump into the next question. We will exclude LeBron James because that is too obvious an answer for this. But the best newcomer to their team, I presume this will be a trade acquisition or free agent signing. But theoretically, if you think DeAndre Ayton is going to be amazing, you can pick him. Oh, I don't. I definitely don't. I, mean, I guess I took the easy cop-out answer, uh, which was Cousins. You know, also, can I apologize? That last segment got very dark. I feel like it was almost all my fault. So sorry, Kings fans. That, that was a little rough. 
I think it's Cousins. I think it has to be Cousins. These rookies, there's not one within this division who I really think is going to have a major instant impact. I do think on the eight in front that Giving both Anderson and Ariza definitely make his life easier because I think Aiden in a crowded offense where you don't have spacing is just basically throwing away his talent. Like, I don't think he's good enough with the ball. I don't think he's uh, got enough kind of moves in his arsenal to really get it done unless he has lots and lots of space to work in and and is able to kind of use his physical advantages in sort of one-on-one scenarios or diving towards the basket. Um, I think he's the kind of guy who you can just erase if you can clog, you know, clog the paint around them. And so his life is definitely better after those moves that Phoenix has made this summer, even if we're not sure whether Danny's going to be the one who's kind of running the pick and roll with him or not. But I think the answer is Cousins. Did you guys have somebody besides Cousins? Yeah, it's probably Cousins. I mean, I think you can make a case for Ariza, but it's probably Cousins. Yeah, that, that's hey, can I ask you, has Ariza, slipped, has Ariza slipped a little bit, though? I mean, yes. you know, I, I understand he's a very good fit and, you know, clean, and, and he's been pretty reliable at Houston, but he's not the same guy he was, is he? I feel like it's a little overstated the extent to which he's fallen off. I mean, he was the guy defending Kevin Durant the entire conference finals. Oh, I didn't see him there. I just saw Katie getting every shot that he wanted. The first couple games of the series, I don't think that was the case. <laughs> and I thought KD, I KD did a, a fair a, a fair portion of his damage against other guys too. Like you know, just with the nature of Houston's defense, why would you give him the ball when Trevor Reese is on him instead when you can get basically anybody else on him? And I mean, right. that you can exploit that approach. And the Warriors did they did a better job of that at certain points in the series. But yeah, I thought Arliani did a decent job. I also think Ariza like will provide more regular season value just because he's actually going to play. Though you can make an argument that because Phoenix is not in the playoff race that he's not going to be there. And right. w- one question we could talk about here is what what newcomer is going to provide the most negative value? Because basically what I'm thinking here, because one of the things we didn't discuss enough with the Lakers is the possibility of one of their new additions signings creating conflict with one of their young players. Because one of this weird dynamic, I think Kevin and I talked about this actually on Real Jam Radio closer to when it happened, is that generally speaking, the weirdest dynamic with this Lakers team is that the players they brought in are both more established and worse fits with where they are and where they are going than the players they already had. So there's a potential for a Rondo ball generated conflict or something with Lance or Kuzma and Beasley. And so maybe it sorts itself out. But that could end up creating problems as well, where it's like, hey, we we have this circumstance that could have been better than what it turned into. I mean, I I think of those guys, Lance is the the most likely candidate there in just every sense. Like Lance, if Lance plays over Josh Hart, let's say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he's the least effective of those players. I mean, you know, Rondo... He's Rondo. I mean, he was overrated in last year's playoffs, but I did see him play. You know, we did see him play a key role in knocking off Portland in the first round. So, I mean, there's value to him in the right situation. I don't think this is the right situation. But Lance, I don't think is all that useful anywhere, but maybe playing strictly at Conceco Fieldhouse. I'm sorry, Baker's well, don't forget, he's a pavilion. good fall guy too, Kevin. I mean, both both Lance and Michael Beasley will make great fall guys if they have early season. You know, if, if you're Luke Walton, you're glad that you're there. Those guys are there so that they can take some of the heat and it won't be on you. And you can just kind of milk a few. Uh, like if you start 500, you know, you can just you know, make a few lineup changes, get everybody talking about these veterans who aren't helping at all, rather than you know pointing fingers at the coach. I mean, there's there's definitely some value in having those guys around for that. You talked about uh, the idea of a study abroad year for for Anderson and Ariza. Is it possible that 
LeBron kind of wanted that. Maybe you know, like once Paul George decided <laughs> to stay in Oklahoma City and all, and and they, it looked like it was going to have to be next year. That he's just like, hey, let's get guys to be interesting to play with them. The young guys are going to take a little bit more time to figure it out. We'll still get to evaluate them, and let's go. Let's just go for players and create a different experience. And then next year we'll clear it all out. We'll, we'll including the young guys who aren't a great fit for what whatever that ends up being, and then we'll roll from there. I mean, maybe he's trying to get a lottery pick. Nice. LeBron teams haven't had a high draft pick in a long time. I'm thinking maybe he's sort of in his pyromaniac phase where he's just sort of like lost himself in the science lab and he's like, give me all of the most like toxic chemicals. I'm just going to throw them all together and see how big of an explosion I can make so that people will talk about me. Maybe that's sort of what he's going for. But I think most of these veterans are going to wind up fading from major minutes by the time like it, you know the season gets serious maybe i'm just hoping that's what happens because i hate watching these guys play most of them uh but i, I kind of feel like luke's going to be smart enough to realize that once the younger guys are ready to, to hold their minutes they're going to get it yeah i've never known you to be that optimistic i mean the the charitable view is yes now you're making these young guys work for their minutes and they'll feel like they've earned them when they beat out these veterans as opposed to just having them on scholarship is the expression goes here uh the the other possible theory though to go back to that one is you know maybe lebron he heard some of the criticism that he doesn't actually make his teammates better including the uh the mailbag that i wrote on that topic and he's like let me you want to you think i don't make players better let me see you uh, everybody watch what i do with this crap this year okay yeah no, yeah no lance used to blow in people's ears now he's averaging like 15 8 and 8 all because of me i could I can see the hero savior worship LeBron kind of cape coming through next season, you know, no doubt about it. That is pretty funny though, Danny. I hadn't considered that he's actually the one on uh, study abroad and not all of these other you know one year contract guys. That's that's pretty good. The last question in the offseason review is not the rookie that you think is going to be best. It's the rookie that you are most excited to see this season. I mean, I'm still probably most excited to to see DeAndre Ayton. Shea was very exciting during summer league, as we've talked about. That usually doesn't translate with rookies, you know, during, rookie point guards during the regular season. So I think there's going to be uh, a pretty substantial learning curve for him. You know, maybe also Isaac Bonga because of the fact that he's just such a mystery. But that's that's probably going too hipster. I mean, the answer here is probably should be DeAndre Ayton. I think it's Aiden by default, unfortunately, because I'm not that excited. I think Shea, like I mentioned, I mean, he could be one of those guys where he gets a lot more minutes in, in you know, late February, March, and April than he does early on. Um, so that always kind of cuts into the excitement factor. Am I crazy to throw Wagner into this mix, just given, like, what might happen with their lineups and JaVale? And, like, I feel like he might be kind of an X-factor, like an underrated X-factor for the Lakers. But I think the I think the pretty obvious answer is eight. Yeah, maybe Jacob Evans you could throw in there if you think that there's a chance he might have to play for the Warriors in the playoffs in that it would all is banged up scenario that we talked about at the beginning of this, depending on, you know, how Patrick McCaw does, assuming that he resigns at some point in the next couple of weeks here. But Wagner, it's not crazy. Like he he was good during summer league and you know, if he can be that stretch five for them and then give them rim protection, that would be useful. I think it's gonna be a tough adjustment for him. Uh, you know, I, I think he kinda played a little bit maybe over his head during summer league. Also, LeBron playing yeah, with stretch bigs is is entertaining as well, and LeBron has done a good job. And he is of the guys who we would classify as a big. He's the best stretch option of those guys. I mean, Javale 
sees himself that way at moments in time to be to be absolutely sure <laughs> but and and Zubac I don't think he has all all that in his game I wouldn't be surprised if he eventually kind of gets that in there if he can do a set shot three like I don't know I, I just my instinct is that maybe he gets there eventually but Fodger has a much more natural stroke and he looked better defensively than I expected in summer league which was great I, I was very encouraged by that but for me, the reason why it's Aiton is a larger question that I've been interested in, which is basically other than more the the really either an incandescent offensive talent, like I think Towns is probably in that conversation, maybe with what Jokic has become, he is there as well. If a guy is not a dominant defensive center, is he worth taking number one overall? Because center offensively is a largely dependent talent in the modern NBA. And then defensively, that's where a lot of the value can be derived if they can even stay on the floor, like if, if they can do that. And we're not going to get a perfect circumstance because of the aforementioned Suns point guard questions. But we saw this a little bit in summer league, like Aiton, you know, he, it was weird how certain points it seemed like he was disappearing, but then you saw, oh, he had 18 and 10 or something like that. But I'm going to be watching him a lot just to kind of figure out he's a good calibrator for like where the center position is going, not in terms of like the playoffs or any of that kind of stuff, but just in a game to game basis, like a starting caliber center. I'm not saying he's going to be there now, but I think he's a good kind of model to look at with this of he he has a little bit of the modernity, modernity in terms of his jump shot and all that kind of stuff. So where does he fit in to productive basketball? I think that's all accurate. That's a good way to spin it. We, we haven't had a seven-footer number one pick that we've been able to just rip to shreds during his rookie year for a while. So that's always a fun, time-honored exercise that, you know, it, it's been a couple of years since we've got to do that. So that actually is a pretty good case for why it'll be fun to watch him. And, you know, if he winds up hitting the ground running and, and continuing to put up, you know, some of the numbers like you're mentioning in Summer League, then you're going to have, I think, a pretty fun debate emerge where it's like the people who really believe in him are saying like, hey, you know, he can help you know, shift this center position, you know, back away from where it's in these last couple of years because he's so big and physically talented versus the others who are, you know, saying, well, he's not modern enough and you know, his, his defense still needs to improve. I mean, I think he's going to wind up being kind of a fun and polarizing player in that way where it will be fun to sort of have the, the round table, you know, the online round tables about Aiden, you know, as his uh, rookie season unfolds. And he's far from the only one of those guys on his own team because Devin Booker has been that guy for about three years now. So having those two guys play together. One one that I want to mention, not because he's he's more in the Shea part of this conversation than the Aiton part, is Mikhail Bridges. I like Mikhail Bridges. I think it could work out well. He has kind of been marginalized by circumstance a little bit, depending on how this sun circumstance shakes out. But if he ends up, if they end up going with a Booker, Bridges, Ariza, Anderson, Aiton starting five, which I think they could end up doing, let's say in like January, he could end up being a really interesting part of this team, you know, hitting open shots, battling through whatever defensive matchup they put him on. They might put him on ones to leave Devin Booker some more survivable matchups. I could be really interested in what he does this year and the potentiality of a Booker-Bridges backcourt actually working. Do you think Bridges is ahead of Josh Jackson in that scenario? I mean, I think particularly well, with no, the what, why, I, why, why I said January is because I think they'll start with Jackson, but I think Bridges will outperform. Uh, he could outperform him and get the job. Oh, I mean, I don't think they're going to. I mean, I think they're just going to play a point guard, but we'll see. I'm praying they trade for a point guard because there's so much going on with this roster. Please get a point guard, Phoenix. Can you just do that for us? Save us all the headaches. We don't want to try to like 
put together these wacko lineups with three guys playing out of position. Just get a point guard. It's not that complicated. <laughs> it has been there, apparently. That said, I, I would I would enjoy seeing probably not necessarily like the starting five or the closing five. I would like to see them try Devin Booker as a primary ball handler for a meaningful period of time, just because I have no idea how that's going to work out. And K- Kakashkov has done that before. I mean, Donovan Mitchell is a different, he's not like a full-fledged point guard, you know, if you want to think of Chris Paul as the archetype or whoever makes you happy. But they had a lot of other capable passers and, you know, dribblers on on those Utah teams. So this is a very different framework to make that happen. I would just like to see it. But at the same point, what's one of the weird things for me with the Suns is I don't know what, like, I, I agree with what Ben said that I want them to get a point guard, but I don't have a single fit of like, oh, this is the guy, like this is the player who makes the most sense for them. I think part of the reason that I'm cha- I'm challenged there is because they're such a young team that I would want somebody really young, and most young point guards haven't developed to the point where you really like them, and once they've developed to that point, that team isn't trading them. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know the most likely outcome for them is probably someone like Teodosic. That would be wild. God, that can you okay? If they play, if they play Teodosic. Devin Booker, Ryan Anderson, and DeAndre Eaton together as four of the five guys in a lineup. We just that that would just be they'd be going back to like the the Westhead era of offense and defensive stuff without necessarily all the crazy pace of that era. Oh, yeah, man. we need that team to play against the Lakers with LeBron at the five. That's that's the game that we need to have. <laughs> one hundred eighty-five to one hundred eighty-two. That that would be the final score. Look, look, Westhead's available. He coached the Mercury. He knows Phoenix. He could, he can come in as a consultant. We we found the way to make the Suns the most watchable they can be this year is through that. And then you give them a second unit that can actually play with like Bridges and the other guys that we're interested in, and that would be fun. Unless you guys have any any th- other like off season things that we might have missed that you feel like we need to discuss, I think we, we I think we got pretty thorough on that. Yeah, I think so. Still need to do the season preview portion of this podcast. But before we get into that, a message from our friends at TrueCar. These days, news travels lightning fast, which is great if you're a sports fan. Between status updates, breaking news notifications, and Twitter feeds, you can always be up to the minute on every team and every game. While this is great for sports, it's the opposite when it comes to buying a car. Go online and you are bombarded with numbers. Invoice, list price, dealer price. It is hard to know how to recognize a good price. Not anymore. Introducing True Price from True Car. It is the only price you need to know because it is exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories. How do you know if your True Price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for that same car you want, so you know how to recognize a good price. Your certified dealers know this, so they set their True Price competitively so they can win your business. So when you are ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. So transitioning into the season preview part, which presumably will be shorter as much as I enjoyed the offseason part, let's just rank these teams one to five. I usually say regular season record, but if you want to use another criteria, just say what it is. I mean, I don't think other than lottery position, I don't know that there's anything else to uh, go on here with these guys. <laughs> I mean, I, is there any disagreement that it's... Warriors, Lakers, Clippers. I guess Suns, Suns, Kings. You could maybe debate, but I think the Suns are meaningfully better than the Kings right now on paper. Yeah, I think so too. So I guess maybe Lakers, Clippers. It could be debatable, but it seems like a pretty clear hierarchy here. I think, uh, I think it's clear. I mean, I think the Suns are the wild card. I, I mean, in the Suns' best case scenario and the Clippers' worst case scenario, could Phoenix finish above the Clippers? I could see that, but otherwise, I think the Warriors are 
significantly better than the Lakers. The Lakers are significantly better than the Clippers. And then, you know, the Clippers Suns group, I think to me is significantly better than Sacramento. So I think the Suns are kind of the wild card because they're maybe a little bit more volatile, but past that, it looks straightforward. I would agree more with Ben if I knew that their point guard situation was resolved. Right now, I think of Phoenix as closer to Sacramento than the Clippers, but it is a correctable flaw. And so maybe they get there either in the span between September 7th when we record this and October 17th, whatever date that the season starts, or they, you know, or they correct it even in into the season, but until they do. So I would, I, I use the term for, for teams, I think of tiers in terms of it would be a surprise if somebody moved into a tier. So like if they were above it. And I think for me right now, this division has four tiers, which is the most I can ever recall in a division, because I would be surprised if the Clippers finished over the Lakers. I would be surprised. So basically it's just the bottom two teams are together. They, I, I mean, I expect Phoenix to finish above Sacramento, but I could see it. You know, there's, there are scenarios that exist that would be the other way. And that's crazy. Like, there's just so much stratification. And hopefully the Lakers will be, you know, it, competing with the Warriors next year. But that's, we're just not at that point yet. Yeah, I, I think we're a long ways away from that point. If the Suns don't finish above the Kings, doesn't there have to be blood there? You know, doesn't, doesn't someone have to go? I mean, I, that to me, if you have this kind of a summer where you're, you're investing in veterans, you've got the number one pick, you're trying to build this momentum, and you can't even beat Sacramento in the standings, I feel like that would be the time where ownership would have to hit the, uh, the eject pretty the button pretty hard on on his uh, front office. No, it probably would be. I mean, I do think don't underestimate how much room you have to go to go up if you were last in both offense and defensive rating. That's a fair point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> good call. To think about that, they were they were one point I think one point seven points per hundred possessions worse on defense than the Kings last year. And granted, the Kings were twenty eighth, not twenty ninth. Does anybody remember? Does anybody remember who was twenty ninth in defense last year? Because this is fun. This is uh, Cleveland. I feel like it was Cleveland. It was Cleveland. So that's that's its own that's its <laughs> yeah. own thing. But so yeah, I mean, you have Phoenix that was just so awful, and they, they should be playing. You know, they have substantially better guys, especially with what they did at the end of last year, and they did have it's not like they had this long stretch like the Cavs did or sorry like the Kings did with George Hill with with Bledsoe he was basically gone at the start of the year so you have all that running together and oh so since since we're here and I so last week on Real Jam Radio I floated an idea that got certain fan bases agitated which was this theory on what the Lakers are going to do which was sign the best free agent they can and then basically trade every every young dude on their team who is not established or basically as many resources as they have that are not established like parts of their core for another star player and so i'll throw it to both of you guys does that make sense to you as basically being their battle plan at the moment I mean, the trade aspect is interesting because you don't, wouldn't have necessarily that much salary. You'd have to go for someone, you know, couldn't be another guy making the max, I don't think, and and make sense cap-wise. I mean, I would be probably can be kind of reluctant to do that given the example of Cleveland and Miami and how quickly those two teams burned through their kind of supporting assets. But, you know, LeBron is going to be, it would be at that point, what, 34 going on 35. So I guess there is a great deal of urgency to maximize his timetable. There is, but at the same time, like, if LeBron ever does start to show aging, doesn't that wind up kind of, kind of indirectly reducing your, your need to build this super team? Like, okay, do you still have the championship expectation in the Western Conference, or do you just settle for being like the super watchable team that Buzzy and Viral 
that everyone talks about, like, does LeBron wind up going into a different stage of, of his career where, uh, you know, obviously you would take stars if you could have them, but, you know, if it means mortgaging your entire future to do it, you know, I think that their thinking might kind of evolve here over the next, you know, year or two. I think having all of next season to evaluate is going to be helpful because you can see, you know, one, does LeBron show any real signs of aging finally? But then also, two, you get another really good test year with these young guys and see who can stick and who doesn't. I mean, I think if, if Ingram breaks through and he looks like he can be sort of a top three type guy on, on your team, uh, you know, he locks that position up, has good health, becomes a, a solid secondary scorer and all that. I, I don't think that they would trade him. I think that they would view him as like their their star in the making. And, you know, maybe Lonzo would be easier to move um, even if he had a, a really strong season. But uh, I, I'm not sure I see the big blow up trade necessarily because I guess frankly, I'm not completely convinced that they're you know, 100% in title mode based on how this summer went and based on how old LeBron is. I mean, I don't think they are now, but next year may be a different story. It also could swing based on who yeah, they get next summer. I mean, if, if Kawhi Leonard has a bounce back year and leaves Toronto to join the Lakers, but then your window is a little bit more open and then you, maybe you throw more and throw more on the table to maximize that two years or whatever it is. I mean, LeBron, we don't know the rules of aging with him because he's defied it so much, but it feels like that gravity is going to be there eventually at some point, whenever that is, I don't know. But you, you have those, those interesting questions, but you know, and, and that also gets into the idea of, well, what do you do with their max space if the unambiguous, obvious yeses say no? So if like, let's say if Kawhi gets to that level and there. So like Jimmy Butler, I, I think Jimmy Butler is one hell of a basketball player, but does he give you the upside necessary to do that? I'm not necessarily saying, oh, they should roll over the space for another year because that gets really complicated and everything else. And maybe they would have feelers out to certain unibrowed players, but there is a, like, it, it, it might be hard to rec- like if they go more in the buzzy direct viral direction, like Ben talked about, I don't know what they do with that space. Well, here's another another incendiary question that I'm asking as a question. I'm not asking it as a leading question, but do stars still want to play with LeBron? You know, you saw the Kyrie experience. Uh, you see Paul George's decision. Uh, you see Kawhi Leonard, how that situation shook out. I think that's a legitimate question at this point. And it's not to like late stage Kobe where he's shooting like eight for 30 every night. But I do think that there's kind of a bargain that goes along with being one of LeBron's teammates where like you have to sacrifice all the credit for him. You wind up taking a lot of the blame. It's a very intense experience where day by day last season, how many guys in that Cleveland organization just got exhausted with the whole thing, you know, including their head coach, Ty Lu. Not everyone's built for that. And a lot of guys will have choices that maybe don't involve that. And so I wonder exactly who they're going to be able to get. I question the assumption that they're just automatically going to be able to get a big time star because I don't think it's quite as simple as like, oh, let's go play in LA, this amazing market with the best player on the planet. I think there's uh, more factors that go into it. Yeah, but it might be as simple as let's go play in LA, this amazing market. Well, I would love that because I live in LA, this amazing market, so I'm rooting for it, but I'm also (laughs) a little bit nervous that it's not going to just completely fall into place perfectly, if that makes sense. So Ben, basically, if I'm to parse what you're saying, you're, what you're saying is that the Lakers in 2019 will, they'll be enthusiastically signing Harrison Barnes as their, as their answer, as a player who can, (laughs) who can fit into a successful system with ball dominant players. A championship pedigree. 
Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, the one that got me a little bit interested is this idea of Jimmy Butler, because for so many years, he was just obsessed with beating LeBron. And like he viewed him as kind of like the guy he was trying to take down during the Chicago era. But if anybody is like built to handle the exhausting grind of the LeBron experience, it's basically Jimmy Butler. And if anyone wants to like, you know, be famous and, you know, hang out with movie stars and, you know, rappers and, act, you know, all these people, Taylor that, Swift. you know, go through the, 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 exactly the celebrity, uh, a crossover here in LA, it would be Jimmy. So that one has gotten me a little bit interested, but like, for example, Kawhi, what part of Kawhi's track record as a person or a player says he wants to come be the number two guy to LeBron with the Lakers? I mean, I understand the Uncle Dennis rumors and all that, but first of all, does Uncle Dennis really know what he's doing? And second of all, is that what Kawhi would actually want? I don't know. It it doesn't really seem like... uh, the guy he was in San Antonio, or even who he's been the last year when he's kind of been off the map. Well, and the other part of this, the other one that gets floated, maybe that's my own geographic bias, and also because I'm around, I'm around people who care about the team a lot. I don't necessarily understand the Kevin Durant Lakers concerns because that's you know in many ways an analog to the Warriors, except that it's a worse situation. You know, sure, LA brings certain advantages, but the Lakers would be a worse team presumably than the Warriors unless Clay leaves or something like that. And I would imagine playing with Steph and Draymond and all those guys is more intriguing, more fun than playing with a LeBron sector team. Because if Katie had wanted that, he could have, they could have facilitated that a couple of different ways, just because if you want to make it happen. But I do think there's a chance that, I I don't know, I've never been able to calibrate Clay well enough. My expectation is that Clay will, will stay with the Warriors, but you know, maybe he would see that as, as something interesting of like, kind of putting it in his basketball bucket list, especially because the Lakers would be quite good if they added him. Yeah, I understand that one. But what about if what if the Lakers sign Jimmy and trade all the assets you're describing for Draymond and the Warriors decide let's just inject a bunch of youth, add Ingram to the mix, add Lonzo to the mix, maybe you get Kuzma. Could you see that happening? I was thinking they do that as a sign and trade for Clay. That was my thought process on that. Yeah, I think if I'm LA though, wouldn't you rather have Draymond? And if and if Draymond winds up wearing out as well, or maybe he starts to hit a wall here in a little bit, or he just decides that he's ready to join forces and become even more famous with LeBron. Like personality wise, like you know, like these two guys sitting around drinking their wine in the in the shop. Was that like a uh, an early taste of what could be a pretty interesting basketball partnership? Now the important thing here. Is from a cap standpoint, something like Lonzo and Ingram for Draymond works. Lonzo and Ingram for a maxed out Clay and a sign in trade is is not nearly enough salary. That is a well, very very good point. We've got our new we've got our new we've got our new big three. Well, also LeBron and Draymond are they also, are they winning a title? Well, so you huh. make you make the Warriors a lot worse. I mean, well, you, yeah. So theoretically, then the Warriors are probably going to start Jordan. Jordan Bell is going to be their closing five center, assuming they keep KD. So it'd be and that's. And does maybe KD have to go to New York in this scenario? I think the Warriors are still better unless KD goes to New York, but because because then it would make sense for them to trade two for one if they lost KD. I mean, so they'd basically be replacing KD with Brandon Ingram. That would be interesting. Next, next Kevin Durant, Brandon Ingram. That would be depressing. <laughs> That's how Steph starts averaging 35 points a game. Is this scenario where KD leaves and they trade Draymond? Yeah, it, it is definitely. Huh. Maybe they route Lonzo in a in a uh, three team trade for another big. Well, no, they'd have well, Draymond. I, like I they think they'd be fine. For today. No, no, no. The the, the Warriors are getting Lonzo here. Oh uh, yeah, I think they they would reroute Lonzo for sure. 
I feel like I accomplished my goal for today's podcast, which was breaking Danny's brain. I feel like I've done it. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I, I think you have. I think you have as well. Uh, so the ne- the next question, this one will probably be pretty easy in this division. Is just how many teams make the playoffs? Well, I, no, I think this actually is an interesting question, but you know that uh, I'm I'm. I'm somewhat lower on the Lakers' chances this season than most people. I mean, I think the most likely scenario is two, but one is very much in play. I agree. Uh, I, I would, if I had to, you know, go into the head, make the pick, I would say Lakers make the playoffs. They'd be the second team. But I think they're going to go under their over-under win total. And I don't think that they're very likely to win a, a first-round playoff series if they do make it. I think the most likely scenario is, you know, first round and out. I also think that one is meaningfully more likely than three right now. Partially, I mean, largely because the rest of the West is just so strong. I mean, the Northwest division just has a lot of really good teams. I mean, all five teams in the Northwest are better than the Clippers by a meaningful margin. And then, of course, you have the Rockets and the Warriors. And, I mean, there are lots of other teams that can that can break out. We already said we are, all have the Lakers ahead of the Clippers. So I, I think one over three. So then I guess two, one, three, and then the rest doesn't matter. Yeah. The last question, and it doesn't have to be becoming stars because we know how unlikely and how rare that is unless you're Victor Oladipo. But just players that will break out, uh, that will reach a different level, that will be talking about them differently, likely in a positive direction because otherwise it would be something else if it was in a negative direction, a year from now, assuming the three of us come together and do this podcast again a year from now. All right. Uh, so I, I think there's a real chance that Lonzo does this if he can stay healthy. And the, the knee surgery is one thing that kind of concerns me. But just, you know, I think he's likely to shoot better than he did last season and that people are more likely to understand and be aware of what he's contributed at the defensive end of the court now. Ben Falk had some great work on this on cleaning the glass over the summer. But, you know, he was a really incredibly good defender for a rookie and didn't get a lot of credit for it most of the year. Like I, I remember doing a national radio interview where I talked about Lonzo's defensive value and like the, the hosts at that point were stunned at the idea that he could be anything but a defensive liability because that was his reputation. But uh, my actual answer is going to be Montrez Harrell, who I think is the best center on the Clippers roster and will emerge as the starter and kind of jump to a new level. I love that pick. Uh, I'm all in on LeBronzo. I have been since Summer League two years ago, as you guys know. Um, I think Hart uh, has a a chance to be someone who, who gets himself onto the, the national radar in a way that people don't really talk about now just by virtue of playing in, you know, the LeBron uh, vortex of attention. I just think he's kind of built basketball-wise and then also psychologically to kind of just handle those situations uh, in a way that not everybody always is. Um, so I'm expecting a pretty good year from him. I'm wondering if a player who Danny mentioned has been pretty polarizing for a few years, Devin Booker, is ready to mm-hmm. – firm up his reputation in the eyes of some people and become a guy where uh, everyone just agrees, okay, yes, he's actually a lot better than he was when he was younger. And he's made the strides and his offensive skills are more reflective of his overall value. I put him on that list. And then also Danny mentioned earlier, uh, Darren Fox's, you know, year one to year two improvement. You know, I don't think he's going to be that great, but I definitely think he's going to be a lot better than what he was last year, which was what, like one of the worst players in the league. So those are some, you know, pretty conventional young guys set to improve type uh, type picks. I thought about Devin Booker as well. Like, I, I don't expect it to me. It's not the most likely outcome, but it is a certainly a potential one that he that the experiment of giving him the ball more just totally works and that he can thrive in that. He, and the Suns have so much better talent around him, especially offensively, that it just works. I mean, he was very, very close 
to averaging, I think it was 25 a game last year. It was at 24-9, I believe. And every player last year, there were seven guys who averaged 25 points a game. All of them made the all-star team. And I believe all of them were on teams that made the playoffs, though I think there were some differences of, of and some of those teams barely made it. Booker has the potential. I still, you know, I, I hope that he can become a better all-around player. We'll see what, what having guys like Trevor Reza around does for that. I will echo Harrell as an interesting possibility. I mean, Gortat at moments last year looked pretty washed, and Harrell can step into that role. I think Doc is not married to Gortat being the solution if somebody else on that team is a better fit. I would love for it to be Boban because Boban is just a fascinating player, and I've been agitating for a little bit now for him to get regular minutes, and for a brief period of time, it looked like that might happen with the Clippers, but then it didn't. And somebody else I want to mention is Jordan Bell. Jordan Bell, to me, was substantially better in the regular season than Kevon Looney last year. You know, David West was underappreciated, but that's its own thing, and now he's retired. But Jordan Bell, I I mentioned that, like, when you've talked about the Draymond hypothetical about Jordan Bell stepping in to being that, like, eventually the closing five Draymond replacement. I don't think that's anything in the immediate, but I think he is the closest thing that that the Warriors have have gotten to him in, in a long time, and that he has some of that kind of bounce, his bounce makes up for the lack of supernatural defensive instincts and, and intelligence that Draymond has. And so if Bell can, like, there's a distinct possibility to me that while he will absolutely, absolutely not be a better player overall than DeMarcus Cousins, there is a distinct possibility to me that Jordan Bell is a better fit with the Warriors closing five at the end of this year than DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah. I mean, I, I was kind of waiting for Jordan Bell to come up. It occurred to me after I made my answer that he, he was something we de- definitely needed to talk about. That's, I'm in. I, I agree. And, and you brought up Josh Hart, Ben. I think that Bridges could end up in the same conversation of like a guy who just fits in well with where that team might be going. He's not a perfect guy, not a 30 usage player or anything like that, but competes defensively, hits the, hits the shots that are presented to him, can do a little bit with the ball in his hands. Like I could see both of those guys, especially if the, the bigger names on their team end up kind of settling into their roles. I could see both of those guys having good years. But I want to talk about something that Kevin brought up, which is this idea about Lonzo's defense. It is going to be so fascinating if he stays in LA to see if it for Lonzo if that happens in a way that it never did for Ricky Rubio because there's so many parallels between those two guys as players in terms of being better passers than shooters, being great passers, having that impact, you know, some of the on off and but them being famous for their offense and their defense being underrated. Like Ricky Rubio's defense has been underrated for basically his entire career. Lonzo, partially because of the Lakers element here, maybe he, and maybe it's because also the nature of the conversations around basketball have changed a lot in the last seven years. Maybe that discussion happens earlier with him. I think it just helps being that the platform, I mean, he was pretty much the easiest target last year too, right? I mean, in terms of everything his dad was doing and the health issues and everything else. And so I do think um, he has set up some of his reputation back uh, because he's good. I mean, I think uh, people who are ready to write off Lonzo just because he's got a quirky looking three-point shot are really missing the boat pretty much completely. Hey, one last guy I was thinking about, are we sleeping on Josh Jackson? I know we mentioned him earlier. Should he be in this mix or no? I mean, the question I think is just going to be opportunity for him, especially if they do start a conventional point guard and Ryan Anderson, as we mentioned. And, and you know, he's probably not beating out Trevor Ariza for that spot. And then he's competing with Mikhail Bridges and DJ Warren potentially for minutes. I feel like he came on a little bit down the stretch of last season, but he's another one where you just look at his draft position, you look at who he was supposed to be when they took him. 
I feel like he should be higher on the priority peck, you know, the pecking list than like, you know, Bridges or Warren. I mean, I know they just paid Warren, but like when you took Jackson, did you take him to be a part of your core group? Like, shouldn't you be uh, slicing aside a certain number of minutes for him basically no matter what? I mean, you would think, but then you shouldn't be going up and stocking up on going out and stocking up on a bunch of wings in that case. Yeah, that that's certainly a fair point. I'm a little bit d- disappointed that Ben didn't mention Leandro Ball, who's a clear breakout candidate for <laughs> basically every team in this division. I mean, he's a diamond in the rough that's just sitting there waiting for somebody to take him. He's the nice. answer for Phoenix's point guard problem. We've solved it. Oh, I'm, I'm not sh- touching that one. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, let's let's end this with a little game. Who is the s- smallest player that is the is starting for the Phoenix Suns in their healthy starting five at the end of this season? Oh, Shaquille Harrison, by the way. I thought I was going to mention him in the breakout players. Oh, yeah, he's I, a good, I he's really good like Shaquille Harrison. So do I. Uh, I'll take him. I'm going to go with Devin uh, Booker. I think I think they're going to start Booker, and I think they're going to end up with Booker and either Bridges or Jackson as their starting backcourt. I'm going to take a cop out and say that the guy is not on their roster currently. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah, I was hoping for somebody specific, but you don't have to do that if you don't want to. You can do whatever makes you happy. Well, I've, I've, I've been trying to jam the Terry Rozier trade for you guys for the last hour and a half, and it hasn't really gained much traction. But I feel like that's the ultimate answer here in terms of guys kind of on their timeline with Booker – you know, it's kind of similarly aged to eight. So I feel like if, if they do decide to make a big kind of splashy move, if you want to call Rogier splashy, he's probably not worth that. Uh, I feel like it would be him. I do kind of love this crazy dosage idea that uh, came out of left field. I mean, <laughs> I think we're all winners with that to a wind up. I don't think it's out of left field. Phoenix has 17, or Phoenix, the Clippers have 17 players on the roster. They need to do something. So, well, and Kakashkov, while Kakashkov didn't coach Tadosic in international ball, I believe I've heard that they have a relationship due to their mutual connections. And I think you could make, I mean, the, the problem is it would get a little bit into the luxury tax. So I guess, yeah, if the, if, no, if the Suns took on both, uh, Tate Osich and Jawan Evans and just cut Jawan Evans, then they could make that deal for Darrell Arthur right now. Call it in. So I meant crazy. I meant crazy, not in the logical. I meant crazy as in like the the outcome. Uh, the could team, be, you know. the funhouse mirror. I, yeah. I think I was objecting to the out of nowhere. Oh, well, I hadn't thought of it. So, yeah, I'm giving you credit for coming up with an idea. Congratulations, Kevin. Suns fans have pointed this out to me. I'm not I'm not the first one to come up with this. Okay. Well, I, I hadn't heard it, and I like it. I'm in. Anything else you guys feel that we should discuss from this division? Or, I mean, hell, whatever else you want to discuss is fine, too. I think we've pretty much covered it. I would agree. I'm excited for this specific division. I think it's going to be uh, very entertaining on basically every level. Storylines from the defending champs all the way down to the Kings and whether or not they can survive another rough season. I feel like every team's got a lot of of interesting layers and, and kind of subtext to their season. So thanks for having me on to discuss this division, Danny. I feel like, you know, we're the big winners this year in terms of, uh, of intrigue, at least, uh, with these five teams. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Thanks for having us. Thanks again to Kevin and Ben for taking the time to come on. You can, of course, read Kevin Pelton at ESPN. You can listen to him on the fabulous Pelton cast and wherever else he podcasts, which is often many other great places. And you can follow him on Twitter at kpelton, K-P-E-L-T-O-N. Ben Golver writes for Sports Illustrated, does the Open Floor podcast with Andrew Sharp, and you can follow him on Twitter at Ben Golver, B-E-N-G-O-L-L-I-V-E-R. Love having them on, two of my absolute favorites, and of course, they have a long history. I've known both of them for a fairly long time at this point now, not nearly as long as they've known each other, but still there, and... 
there was a lot to discuss in the West. There was actually more. When I was kind of piecing it together in my head, I, I thought about some things and then we wanted to talk about, you know, the suns and get into the depth of it and everything else. So that's the great thing about having two guests and having people who really spend some time thinking about these teams is that you get into some worthwhile directions. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Still have a few more weeks of the full-on off-season, and then it'll be training camp and everything that comes with that. Have a pretty good idea of where this podcast is going to go during that time, but again, it's always subject to guest availability and everything else, so you can look forward to that. Real Jam Radio comes out once a week. The day is not specific just because it depends on when people are available. Recorded this episode on Friday during the day, put it out Friday night because I had to edit it, and it'll depend a little bit on that. But it'll be once a week, so that's a great reason to subscribe, download every episode. The other great way you can support the show, leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player if you're choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. If it's not, you can do it there too. But if you want to be super awesome, both places, because Apple Podcasts is still massive in our business. And the single biggest thing beyond spreading the word, word of mouth is extremely important with this show, is checking out our sponsors. I mean, that's really what keeps the lights on and what hopefully brings more sponsors in. And betonline.ag, use the podcast one, and that's the number one promo code to get a 50% sign-up bonus, which is fantastic. So many great things going on right now worthy of it. I think it makes the weekends in particular this time of year much more interesting if you, if you if you, that's your passion to, to put something on it. And also, of course, Pluto TV, great way to watch a lot of things for free. Don't even need a credit card. Don't need to sign up. You can check it out on your devices. And TrueCar, great place to buy a new and used car. Real Jam Radio will be back next week. Not exactly sure which episode it's going to be. It's going to depend on guest availability, but I have a pretty good idea. And then I'm actually, so Nate is on his honeymoon right now. He, he I think I'm in some of the episodes, pre-recorded a couple of episodes of Dunked On that will air. And then it is going to be my show for two weeks doing more of the team previews and then of course catching up on news so i believe that's going to start in basically not this sunday but the following sunday is going to be the i believe the first ever dunked ons without nate so if you want to check that out you certainly can help pump up the download numbers so i can trash talk him that the show does super well without him but that that again that'll be not this coming sunday but next sunday still working on which teams and and the interviews and all that kind of stuff but of course i will put my heart into it because it is what i do and have a bunch of work coming out for The Athletic. I've been thinking about the offseason a lot, so that's working out as well. Want to do some new CBA encyclopedia pieces. I'm working on some actually right now on restricted free agency. It's a little bit late in the game, but I, I want to have it out there so that people can understand it. And there are still qualifying offers floating in the ether, most notably Patrick McCall. So that'll be there as well. You can check out this show. You can check out my writing. Follow me on Twitter. But feedback, NBA at gmail.com is the way to do it. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I may not respond, though I try to, but it is important to me that if you if you care about something and you put that time in to know that it will it will go to me, I will in- read it, I will internalize it, and maybe it leads to a change. It, it often does. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.
Thunderstruck. Adjective. Shocked and amazed by the power of carnival fun. It's what happens when you ride Bolt, the world's first sea coaster. When you island hop till you drop. Thunderstruck! When you book four massages back to back. Back to back. Get Thunderstruck starting at 289. Carnival. Choose fun. Cruises are in U.S. dollars per person, double occupancy. Taxes, fees, and port expenses. Additional restrictions apply. Full details on Carnival.com. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over. The new year is here. And the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. So call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW. At our fully accredited, world-class treatment center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY.